Good morning. Our scripture, sorry. Our scripture lesson is from Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26. I'll be reading from the Good News Bible. What I say is this, let the Spirit direct your lives, and you will not satisfy the desires of the human nature. For what our human nature wants is opposed to what the human, I'm sorry, is opposed to what the Spirit wants. And what the Spirit wants is opposed to what our human nature wants. These two are enemies, and this means that you cannot do what you want to do. If the Spirit leads you, then you are not subject to the law. What human nature does is quite plain. It shows itself in immoral, filthy, and indecent actions, in worship of idols and witchcraft. People become enemies, and they fight. They become jealous, angry, and ambitious. They separate into parties and groups. They are envious, get drunk, and do other things like these. I warn you now, as I have before, those who do these things will not possess the kingdom of God. But the Spirit produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, humility, and self-control. There is no law against such things as these. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have put to death their human nature with all its passions and desires. The Spirit has given us life. He must also control our lives. We must not be proud or irritate one another or be jealous of one another. The Word of God for the people of God. Many years ago, back when I was in seminary, I had the the great privilege of taking classes from a man named Peter Story. You have heard me perhaps mention uh, the Reverend Dr. Peter Story before. He comes up in sermons from time to time. He's sort of a a spiritual hero of mine. Uh, Dr. Story was the president of the South African Methodist Church during the the years of the church's struggle against apartheid. Uh, Alongside the Archbishop Desmond Tutu, he was one of the church leaders who led the the struggle against this system of injustice and oppression that caused black South Africans to be second-class citizens. He was also uh, the the personal chaplain to Nelson Mandela during Nelson Mandela's years of imprisonment on on Robben Island. And you can imagine what it was like to, to sit in Peter Story's classes and, and hear him talk about conversations that he'd had with Nelson Mandela or, or Archbishop Tutu, to hear him talk about these, these historic world-changing events and moments from the perspective of somebody who had been right in the middle of all of these things that were happening. It was incredible to, to sit in his class and to hear him tell these stories. But of all the stories that he told, maybe my favorite and maybe the one that has stayed with me the most powerfully and for the longest time was was not the story of a big world-changing moment. It was the story of a, a very small moment, an incident that happened on an airplane. The story goes like this. Just after the fall of apartheid, Peter's story was, was on a plane. He was flying from America back to South Africa. And, and he made his way through all of the barriers and hurdles you need to get through. He got on the airplane. He settled into his seat. And he looked around the cabin. And he saw that the airplane was filled with these young, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed Americans. Many of them looked like they were old enough to be college students. And these young Americans, they were filled with this energy and excitement. And they were chattering. And they were talking 
talking and making quite a racket. And eventually, it didn't take long, eventually these young Americans started talking about Jesus. Jesus made his way into just about every remark, every word, every statement that they made. And, and at that point, Dr. Story realized who these young Americans were. You see, after the fall of apartheid, South Africa was flooded with wave after wave of young evangelical American Christians who had decided that the fall of apartheid was the perfect opportunity to become a missionary. They had decided that they were going to go to South Africa and convert some South Africans, save South Africa for Jesus. And so South Africa was suddenly filled with these young, energetic, obnoxious American Christians. Dr. Story says, I'll be honest with you, they got on our nerves, he said. It was so irritating to always be running into these young American Christians. And he said, I got so frustrated at the way that they didn't seem to understand that there were already Christians in Africa, and there have been Christians in Africa since the time of Jesus. He said even more irritating was the way that they would look at somebody and see dark skin and assume that that meant this person was a heathen who needed to be saved, who, who needed to be converted. He said, I, I was already irritated with these young American Christians, he said. And on that plane, he said, they, they started pushing my buttons. He said, as I watched them on the plane, I could see that they had decided they were going to make their first convert. They were going to save their first African soul before they even touched down in South Africa. He said there in the middle of all of these students was one poor, lonely, older South African gentleman. And, and he said these young American Christians started assaulting him. They, they started evangelizing at him in the rudest and most obnoxious way. He said one young man who was sitting next to this, this South African gentleman got right in his personal space, leaned right across his lap and started talking to the young Americans who were on the other side of him. And he said, isn't Jesus amazing? Isn't it amazing how God freely offers us the gift of salvation in Jesus? Isn't it amazing that all we have to do is repent of our sins and ask for forgiveness and then God will give us eternal life in Jesus? And then the young woman who was sitting on the other side of this man, she also leaned across his lap and she said, yes, I really do think it's amazing. I think it's amazing how God freely offers us the gift of salvation in Jesus. I just think it's so amazing that all we have to do is repent of our sins and ask for forgiveness and we get to spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. And Dr. Story said it went on and on and on like this. And this poor man, he was, he was stoic. He was impassive. He didn't respond to this or give them anything to work with. And so they just got louder and louder and more and more in this man's face. And Dr. Story said as he watched this happening, he just got angrier and angrier at what they were doing to this poor man until finally he said, I snapped. I just couldn't take it anymore. He said, I leaned over and in my loud voice, in my preacher voice, I said, why don't you give Jesus a rest for a while? And he said, while you're at it, why don't you give the rest of us a rest too? He said, maybe some of us have some different ideas about Jesus than you do. He said that, that got them to back off. That got them to quiet down a bit. And so they had some peace and quiet there in the airline cabin. And Dr. Story said he got to snooze. He took a little nap. When he woke up, he discovered that he had to take a trip to the restroom. And so he got up and he walked to the back of the plane. When he got to the back of the plane, he discovered that he was standing in line behind this, this poor African man who had been hassled by all of these young American Christians. And he said I, he looked at the man and realized that this man was, was familiar to him. He 
he felt like he had seen this man some way before. And so he, he said to the man, don't, don't I know you, man? Uh, why are you familiar to me? Have I seen you somewhere? And, and the man smiled, and, and he introduced himself. And, and that's when Dr. Story realized this man was, in, in fact, uh, the leader of the world-famous uh, South African musical group, Ladysmith Black Mombazo. Now, if, if you're a Paul Simon fan, you might remember Ladysmith Black Mombazo from his, his Graceland album. I will always remember them as the, the men who are singing Awa, 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 Awa on, on one of my favorite Paul Simon songs, Diamonds on the Soles of Her Shoes. This man, it turns out, was a, a world-famous musician, and not only that, but in South Africa, he was famous also for his Christian faith. This man was, was famous throughout South Africa as somebody who was very open about his love for Jesus. He was well-known throughout South Africa for his works of, of charity and compassion and justice, and that just made Peter's story even angrier at the, the arrogance, the ignorance of these young people who saw his dark skin and just figured he must be some sort of a, a heathen who needed saving, some sort of a pagan who needed converting. And so there in the back of the plane, he looked at this man and he said, don't these young American Christians get on your nerves? Don't they test your patience? Don't they push your buttons? Don't they drive you crazy? And he said, this man, this musician looked back at him and, and he smiled and he said, yes, he said, but on the other hand, they're very young. And when he said that, Dr. Story said, suddenly I, I felt deeply embarrassed. He said, when I saw how, how kindly and how gently and how patiently this man responded to something that had happened to him after all and, and not to me, suddenly I felt embarrassed by how angry and offended and irritated I had gotten. He said, suddenly I looked at this man filled with love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, and I realized that I was in the presence of a true spiritual giant. He said, I looked at this man and I suddenly realized that that I, I have a long way to go in my walk with Jesus. I love this story. Don't you love that story? Isn't it a great story? I think, I think the reason that this story has stayed with me for so long, I think the reason that, that, that this story lodged itself in my memory is very simply this. This story gives us a beautiful illustration of what the Apostle Paul is trying to teach us in this morning's scripture reading. If you want to know what a Christian looks like, if you want to know how to spot someone who has been filled with God's Spirit, if you want to know how to spot someone who is growing in the Christian faith, there is only one way to do it. You can't measure somebody's faith just by counting up the number of miles that they travel in order to proclaim the gospel. Some people, some people travel halfway around the world to share the love of Jesus and the story of Jesus with people and still remain deeply spiritually immature. And if you want to measure somebody's faith, you can't just count the number of times that they work Jesus into a conversation because some very spiritually immature people use the name of Jesus an awful lot. And if you want to measure somebody's faith, you can't just count the number of degrees and diplomas hanging on their wall. It's possible to become a seminary professor. It's possible to be the leader of an entire denomination and still, still have room for growing in the faith. If you want to measure somebody's faith, you can't even assume that just because somebody was 
was the personal chaplain to Nelson Mandela, just because somebody was at the forefront of the church's struggle against injustice and oppression, that means that they must be a spiritual giant. There is only one way to measure our faith. There is only one way to know for certain if someone has been filled with God's spirit. There is only one way to know if we are growing in the spirit. When we look at people and when people look at us, do they see, do they see love? Do they see joy? Do they say peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control? That is the only yardstick God has given us for measuring spiritual growth. And this is the point that the Apostle Paul is making in his letter to the Galatians. You know, the Apostle Paul was a, a leader in the early church. He was somebody who traveled the world, traveled the whole of the Roman Empire, sharing the story of God's love in Jesus with people. And everywhere he went, he started churches. He planted communities of faith. And, and the Apostle Paul, he started a lot of churches, but the Galatian church might just have been his favorite church. The Galatian church was unlike any of the other churches that Paul started because the Galatian church was made up entirely of people who had grown up as pagans. The Galatian church was made up entirely of people who had grown up worshiping in pagan temples, praying to pagan idols at, at pagan altars. These were people who had no background in the Jewish faith. These were people who had never read the Jewish scriptures. They'd never heard of Adam and Eve, never heard of Abraham, never heard of Moses, never heard the words of the prophets. And yet when Paul told them the story of God's love in Jesus, they responded. They caught fire. God breathed the Holy Spirit into them, and they began to love one another. They began to live in a way unlike anything the world had ever seen. And Paul believed that this was the miracle that proved that God's love in Jesus is not just for this group of people or that group of people. Paul believed that the Galatian church was the proof we had been waiting for, that God's love in Jesus is for all the world world for all of its peoples. And so when he left the Galatian church, he, he left a thriving community of people who were loving each other and learning how to live as Jesus taught us to live. And he was proud of that Galatian church. Everywhere he went, he told people about the things that God was doing in that Galatian church. But then Paul started getting letters and he started getting reports about the things that were happening in that Galatian church. Trouble was brewing in the Galatian church. What happened was this. One of the Sunday school classes at the Galatian church decided to do a Bible study. They said, you know, if we're going to be followers of Jesus... If we're going to be Christians, then we ought to do this right. We ought to read the Bible that Jesus read. We need to read the Hebrew Scriptures. And so they ordered a whole bunch of copies of the Old Testament from Cokesbury. And, and then they started reading through the Old Testament together. Every Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, they would gather at the church and read, read through the Old Testament together. And as they read the Old Testament together, they couldn't believe what they were reading. This God, the God who sent Jesus into this world, God, the Father of Jesus, kept on giving people rules and laws and regulations. God said, if you love me, then you won't eat pork. If you love me, then you won't work on the Sabbath. If you love me, then you, the men among you, will be circumcised. And, and the Galatians in that Bible study, they said, this is terrible. 
We've been doing this wrong the whole time. We're terrible followers of Jesus. We haven't been doing any of these things. And so they made a pact with each other. They said, no more pork, no more Hawaiian pizzas at church potlucks, no more, no more bacon. And they said, we're going to hold each other accountable for not working on the Sabbath. And not only that, but the men in the Sunday school class, they all agreed to be circumcised. They had a, a circumcision party one Saturday night. They, they all got together and and I imagine that a good amount of alcohol was involved because, because these were Galatians and not Methodists, right? And, and the next Sunday morning, they, they walked into the church gingerly. They walked into the church with, with a bit of a hangover. They walked into the church and, and they looked at the other Christians with their crusty, bloodshot, hangover eyes and they said, now we are truly Christians. Now we are growing in our faith. And if you want to grow in your faith, if you want to be real Christians, then you have to do the things that we're doing. And the other Christians in the church looked at them and said... <laughs> No, thank you. No, no, really, you look silly walking funny today. We don't want to have anything to do with it. In fact, you, you look ridiculous to us. They said if, if this stuff was so important, surely Paul would have told us about it, and so we're not going to do that stuff. And so there developed two parties, two factions in the church. There was the bacon party and the circumcision party. And by the way, here's a free tip from your pastor. If you ever get invitations to do parties on the same night and one is the bacon party, Party and the other is the circumcision party. Go to the bacon party. There was, there was a law party and there was a freedom party and where once there had been this thriving community of faith where people were learning to love each other and to live in a brand new way, now there was just a bunch of cranky, angry people who were looking down their noses and judging each other for not working hard enough to follow Jesus in the right way and there was anger in the church. There was dissension and bitterness and division in the church and if finally got to be so bad that somebody said, you know what, let's ask Paul. Let's write a letter to Paul and have him settle this once and for all. Let's let Paul tell us who is truly following Jesus. And so they wrote Paul a letter. They explained everything that had happened in the church. They told him all about the Bible study and the circumcision party and the pineapples on the pizza with the ham. They told him about all the things that had been happening there in the church. And Paul got the letter. And he read the letter, and then he sat down, and he wrote his own letter. He wrote this letter to the Galatian church. It's not a long letter. If you read it this afternoon, it won't take you very long. I encourage you to do that. If you read this letter, here's what you're going to discover. You're going to discover that you can hear in Paul's words that he is heartbroken at what has happened in this church. Paul is frustrated and bitterly disappointed at what has happened in this church. Even in today's scripture reading, you can hear a little bit of Paul's sadness and hurt and disappointment at what has happened in this church. In today's scripture reading, Paul says to the Galatians, you want me to tell you who the real Christians are? He says, first let me tell you who the real Christians aren't. People who write me letters saying, Paul, tell us that we're right so we can rub it in the noses of our brothers and sisters in the church. Those people do not have the spirit of God within them. 
He said people who cause division and dissension and condemnation to fill God's church, he said those people are not walking in the footsteps of Jesus. He said people who come into the church with anger for their brothers and sisters and look down at their brothers and sisters in the church, he said those people are not living the Christian faith. He said if you want to know how to spot a Christian, if you want to know how to spot somebody who is growing in the faith, there is only one way to do it. You can't find out if somebody's a Christian by asking if they've been circumcised. You can't tell if somebody's a Christian by looking at the clothes that they wear. You can't tell if somebody is a Christian by looking at the color of their skin. You can't tell if somebody is a Christian by looking at the slogans on their t-shirts or the tattoos on their biceps. There is only one way to know for certain if you are dealing with a Christian who is growing and alive in their faith. Paul says, when you look at that person, do you see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is the only yardstick that God has given us for measuring our faith. That is the only true way to know if we are walking in the way of Jesus. It's a powerful message. Those are beautiful words. They're also challenging words, aren't they? Sometimes I read this, this passage from the letter to Galatians, and it cuts me right to the bone. This week I was reading this letter to the Galatians and I got to thinking about how on, on Wednesday night I lost my temper because of the umpire at my son's baseball game. I got to thinking about how on Thursday I got frustrated and impatient while I was stuck in, in construction traffic. I got to thinking about the argument that I got into on Facebook on Friday and the things that I said that maybe now I wish I could take back, the things I said that maybe now I wish I hadn't said. There are times when I read these words in this letter to the Galatians where Paul says the only thing that matters is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And I don't feel knee-high by the 4th of July. I feel knee-high to a grasshopper. I feel very spiritually small. There are times when I read these words and I wonder, am I even a Christian at all? And on those days, on those days when I'm feeling very small in my faith, I try to remember this story that my seminary professor told about this thing that happened on the airplane. And I try to remember that moment when this, this man, this musician, looked at Peter's story and said, yes, they do get on my nerves. Yes, they're a little bit irritating and obnoxious. But he said, after all, they're still very young. I think about the graciousness and forgiveness and, and kindness that that man was able to show to those students. And then I ask myself this question, how much more gracious, how much more kind, how much more forgiving will Jesus be to us? You know, maybe as we're doing this thing where we struggle and work to grow in our faith, maybe the thing that we need to hear every day over and over again is that God is love, God is joy, God is peace, God is patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. God cannot help but being all of those things, even with us, even on our worst days. And so when you have one of those days, when you're struggling, when you have one of those days when you are feeling spiritually knee-high to a grasshopper, here's Here's what I would encourage you to remember. Compared to God, compared to God, all of us are still just very young. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for the way of life that you taught us through Jesus. We give you thanks for the spirit that fills us and makes that way of life not only possible but inevitable. God, we give you thanks most of all for your graciousness, your kindness, your forgiveness on those days when we fall short. 
in those moments when we realize that we still have a long way to go. And God, we ask that as we walk this path, as we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, we pray that we would sense Jesus walking beside us. And God, we pray that on the days when we struggle, that he would urge us along and even carry us. In his name we pray. Amen.